many of you uh, probably uh, heard of Tom Clancy. He's a very uh, well-known author. He wrote uh, a real uh, thriller uh, called The Sum of All Fears. They actually made a movie uh, a few years ago. Uh, the tagline was 27,000 nuclear weapons in one has gone missing. It was a story about a neo-Nazi who tried to trigger a nuclear war between Russia and the United States, knocking them out of existence uh, so that he could raise up a, uh, a fascist state in, in Europe. And uh, while the crisis was averted, uh, nevertheless, the sum of all fears did not come to pass. But here's the thing, it was a, it was a fiction. It was a story that was kind of made up. But every one of us has probably experienced the crisis in our life at some particular point in time. It happens. You don't get to go through this life without having experienced uh, a crisis. But, you know, the, when I think of a crisis, I, I, think, of, I think of the word uh, urgency and the word emergency uh, that requires uh, immediate attention when you find yourself in the midst of a crisis. It could be a financial crisis. Uh, it, could be a, it could be a medical crisis. I thought we were going to have a medical crisis the other day. My wife apparently was stung or bitten by a, maybe a, a, a spider. And uh, it was concerned about it, but it looks like it's getting better. So, so that crisis is, is passed. Uh, this past Monday, I uh, went to the church mailbox, and, and there was a note, a prayer request. It was anonymous. It was from a family that was in crisis asking for prayer. But the crisis that I want to talk to you about had, a, had, had the potential of profoundly affecting every single one of us in a, in a deeply negative way. And, and that's what I kind of want to talk to you about. What was at stake was so important because it had eternal ramifications, not just something that dealt with this present life. It wasn't a clash between nations, but rather a crisis, a crisis between kingdoms, the kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but there was a a moment in time when the church Jesus Christ died for was in an absolutely vulnerable state and a position. Think of it as a small window of time, about 50 days in length between the time of the resurrection, after the cross and resurrection, and before the Holy Spirit came on, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later. The disciples had their whole world turned upside down. And even though Jesus had showed himself alive on a couple of occasions to and reveal himself to the disciples, that, I mean, put yourself in, in their place. Their whole world has been turned upside down. They're, they're living in a state of uncertainty. Uh, the, the, the Jewish leaders have, have vowed to put an end to the Jesus movement. And so their lives were in jeopardy. Uh, after Gethsemane, they all ran for fear. Uh, of their lives. So, so this was a real uh, narrow window of time in which they were absolutely vulnerable, okay? Uh, it was the, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was the one who was to bring power so that they might be witnesses, the spirit of truth that would lead them and guide them into all truth, and that had not yet happened. So I, I see this as a very uh, place of vulnerability, and, and as you'll see, the crisis as I unfold it, was, was indeed serious. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 21, but, but just a day or two before, 
or three or four before the, all this took place. In fact, it was the day before Jesus was crucified. He said to his disciples, he said, Satan desires, actually it's Satan demanded to sift you like wheat. Now he's talking to Peter, but he's also talking to all of the disciples because they were all under attack. And now we're not an agricultural people, so we don't really, you know, put together that, that allegory. But, but it would be like Jesus saying today, Satan wants to run you through a meat grinder. Not a good thing. We don't belong in meat grinders, right? Um, what was Jesus doing? He was uncovering a plot uh, against his disciples that was meant to disrupt his kingdom and the proclaiming of his kingdom. Satan was trying to silence the messengers. In the uh, upper room, after they had all run, but in the upper room, Peter, uh, Peter made a boast. He said, though everybody else will forsake you, yet not I. And we know that Peter failed miserably uh, when he swore an oath, bringing a curse down upon his own head, saying, I, I tell you, I know not the man. And he did that three times. And you know what? There's nothing, absolutely nothing in Scripture that would give us a cause to presume that that Satan just simply gave up, even after Jesus triumphed over the grave and rose again and, and, and gloriously defeated sin and, and the powers of darkness. It's not like Satan's just, oh, I might as well go home. I might as well just give up. And the fact of the matter is we know that that's not the case. In fact, we know that the resistance and the deception of, of the parts of, uh, of darkness continue to this very present day, even now as I speak. Jesus said this, he says, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The very statement is an implication that you're going to have opposition. It's not like Jesus saying, you're not going to have an enemy anymore, because you will. And you're not going to have opposition anymore. No, because, because you will. But what Jesus was promising in that statement, and it's a glorious promise, is that no matter what the crisis is that you face, I will have a plan that will prevail. Let's say it again. That no matter what the crisis is you face, I will have a plan that will prevail. And I'll tell you what, there's no one greater at handling a crisis than Jesus. Let me say this, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, we're very blessed that you're here and, and we want to uh, serve you in, in whatever way that we can possibly uh, assist you today. If you have questions or something like that, please feel free to ask any of the people that were up on the stage Today, but but you you know that a crisis happens to everybody in this life, that nobody gets to go through life free of a crisis of some sort, you know. And uh, I want you to think about that for a minute. You, you probably try to handle that the best way you can, but for me as a follower of Jesus, I have this tremendous advantage. Not only do I have these awesome promises like the one that I just shared with you, but I, but even better than the promise, I have the promise keeper who's in my corner. And I'll tell you what, Jesus is the one you want to have in your corner in a crisis. The Gospel of John, the last chapter, is what we're going to look at in just a minute. It's going to take me a few minutes to kind of set the stage for that. But, but it's clear that the disciples, after what Jesus said, Satan wants to, wants to run you through a meat grinder. They're, they are the target. Satan could not prevent the resurrection, so he tries to silence the messengers, okay? And uh, 
I want you to think about that, that intense denial on the part of Peter uh, when he swore that he, that he, he, he swore that he would die for Jesus, and then he goes ahead and he blows it such, such big time. You know what? He, he must have been disgusted with himself. I know if it was me, I, I would be disgusted with my failure. I, I know that I would be struggling with the guilt of having denied that I, that I knew Jesus. And so I, I think that there's a number of issues that are going on here, especially with Peter and the other disciples. Like I mentioned, the fear that the religious leaders wanted to put uh, squash or crush the, the Jesus movement. And there's a n- number of things that are going on here, like, like Peter probably feeling like a failure, like he blew it, and, and, and that you know, he probably, this was probably above, above his ability. You know, the, the idea of, of uh, preaching the gospel to a hostile nation must have seemed like mission impossible to them. I mean, it must have been really hard. And remember that window of uncertainty. Jesus really, he, he, he wasn't with them 24-7 the way he was before. He showed up on a few occasions. And so they're really kind of out there on their own. The Holy Spirit has not yet come yet. So, so this is what happens. And, and, what, and what is so alarming about this is that Jesus tells them to go in Matthew 28, verse 16. He tells them to go wait for him in a, in a prearranged mountain location. And Peter says to the guys, he says, I'm going fishing. He says, I'm going, f- you can't fish in a mountain. You got to fish in a lake or in the ocean, right? And so, and so as a result of that, six of the other guys say, you know what? We're going with you. So that seven out of the 11 remaining apostles are now walking away from what Jesus had said, go wait for me. And also, really, they're quitting. They're walking away from the ministry that Jesus called them to become fishers of men. And they're going and they're... This is, this is not a let's go fishing for the weekend, guys. Not like, not like Nick and, and uh, Tim who went fishing on a charter boat and caught a whole bunch of fish, right? Uh, that's not this. This is not, this is not a church-sponsored event, you know, like, like, like we had when we had the retreat and, and a couple of the guys fell in the water in the canoe, right? The canoe tipped over. This is, this is not like that. This is, this is, I'm going back to the profession of being a professional fisherman. I'm walking away from the call of God. I just, I just, I think, I think Peter probably felt so, so disgusted with himself that he didn't see himself as the apostle that Jesus called him to be. Well, anybody ever here feel overwhelmed? When you're in a crisis, anybody ever ever feel like this was this was more than you can handle? That you that you just got weary in the battles of life, or if you've you've gone through one crisis after another after another after another, like like Doug and Kelly have been in this last couple of weeks with broken thumb and 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 Kelly's I mean uh, Bryn's wearing a brace on her leg and. Uh, Landon has to have his tonsils taken out and it's like one crisis after another. And that's just to mention a few. I don't, I don't have the time to tell you all the stuff they've been through. But, you know, sometimes when, when we've been through a prolonged period of crisis, you, you, you know what, one of the things that we could possibly say is like, you know, I, I just give up. I, I don't really care anymore what happens. And what we're really saying when we say something like that is that I feel helpless in this crisis. But the good news is, is that Jesus Christ is able and capable of helping us when we lean on him. 
We sang a beautiful song today that talked about leaning on him. And you know, I love the idea of declaring our dependency upon God, of leaning completely upon him. Being dependent upon Jesus is, is not a bad thing. It is an absolutely awesome thing because he knows how to handle a crisis. And like I said, th- th- this, this was a crisis. Now, here's the thing. As I read through John chapter 21, some of you are going to say, I don't see a crisis in this. But that's because Jesus handles the threat with such finesse and such grace and such wisdom that he diffuses the situation that interrupted his plan to reach the nations of the world. You know, I was thinking about the, the poor family in, in uh, Orlando, in uh, Disney. Uh, the parents there were just absolutely uh, ignorant of the fact that there was a real clear and present danger that, that, that took their two little, uh, two-year-old, an alligator took a two-year-old into the water and drowned that, that child. It took a tragedy to reveal the threat that, that is present in that situation. So here's a threat to the kingdom of God that Jesus now comes, comes to, to, to deal with, right? So what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is that Jesus only has one plan. And that plan, if I can say it this way, the plan is the man. And when I say man, I mean mankind. I mean man or woman. It's his plan. So here's these seven guys now, and they're fishing all night long, right? And they've caught absolutely nothing, okay? And Jesus comes, perfect timing. He planned it that way. You know, Jesus could make fish go into the net, and he can make fish go out of the net. Jesus could make fish go onto the hook and off of the hook. Uh, Tim told me that there was one guy in, in about 11 guys that were on there, or 10 guys on there. One guy didn't catch anything. I would have been me. I wouldn't have caught anything, you know. Well, you got to put bait on the hook. But anyway, so here Jesus shows up just at the right time. And he calls out to them. And he says, hey, guys, he's about 200 feet, 300 feet off of the shoreline. And, 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 and or he's on the shoreline, they were in the water, and he says, hey guys, did you catch any fish? And, and I love the, the way the Greek brings out the elongated answer that they got. And, 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 they, and they say, no, no, we don't have any fish. You know, we ain't caught any fish. And you ask a fisherman after an all, all-nighter and there's no fish, he ain't too happy. And uh, Jesus, says, Jesus says, cast your nets to the right side of the ship. Now, I, t- I told in the first service, I, I mentioned that, that when we were on the retreat, uh, the retreat speaker, who was excellent, by the way, you'll really be blessed, guys, if you come. Uh, his name is Bill Page. And he's messing around with this scripture. And I'm in the back, of, I'm in the back praying, God, don't let him say too much. You know? But, but he said something really interesting. When he, he said, now, now, what's the difference between the left side of the ship and a few feet over to the right side of the ship? Nothing. But they put their nets down in obedience to what Jesus said. And immediately, the net is filled with fish. 153 big guys in that net. Nemo is in there. What's that other one? Dory. Dory's in there. She's caught, you know. Oh. Yeah. It's so cool. One of the things that it teaches us it's so clear to me. It's that, it's that apart from him, we can do nothing. 
that we need him in our life to be able to, to, do, to, to do the stuff that only he can do as we follow in him in obedience. And as Yogi Berra would say, this is deja vu all over again. Going back to Luke chapter 5, this is the same miracle that Jesus did in the beginning. But what's most important about that is not the miracle itself, but that Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, to, to James and John, he said, come and follow me. And the Bible says, immediately they forsook their nets to follow Jesus. So, so we're going to pick up then in verse 9 of our story. When they landed, not all the fish they got there, right? They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus, he's making a barbecue, I'm telling you. And it was a wonderful barbecue. You know, it was, it was Brother Page who also pointed out that, that it was a charcoal fire. And one of the other times that a charcoal fire, and you know, there's something about a charcoal fire, the smell of it is like uh, unlike anything else, you know? Uh, one of the strongest senses that we have is, is smell to trigger a memory. Now, I want you to imagine, here's a charcoal fire going there and the fish are on, on the grill. And, and Peter now remembers because the other place that there was a charcoal fire is when Peter's warming his hands the night that Jesus was arrested. The night that he said, I, 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 don't, I don't know him. I, 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 I'm not one of his disciples. And that, that fragrance is probably triggering a memory. In verse 10, Jesus said, Then bring some of the fish with you that you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard. Notice it's only John who refers to him as Peter. Jesus never refers to him as Peter, and there's a reason for that. So Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. You know, I come across a scripture like that, and I, I ask myself, Jesus, why did you ask them for more fish? You already had a fish cooking on the grill. You could have multiplied the fish and bread the way you did in the past, you know? You could have had a Weber grill, stainless steel out there, you know, because he wouldn't do that, but... But, but he, he could have had a whole mass of fish on there. I, I think one of the reasons that Jesus said bring some of the fish is because he wants to address the fact that there's a partnership between us and him. That he's the miracle worker, but we're labors together with God. That one sows, another waters, but it's God who's the one who gives the increase. And then I love the fact that John... John brings out that the net did not break, unlike it breaking in Luke chapter 5. You know what that tells me? It tells me that everyone who was caught in the gospel net, and that's the gospel is likened to a great net that drags in all kinds of fish. It tells me that those that are caught in the gospel net will not be lost. That Jesus is able to save, <clears throat> excuse me, unto the uttermost everyone that comes unto God by him. Don't sweat your salvation. If you've given your heart to Christ, if you truly believe that he's the son of God, that he died to take away your sins, you are not saved on the basis of your strength. You're saved on the basis of his strength and his achievements. 
It's like somebody who's, who's, who's out in, 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 the, in Rockaway Beach or whatever, uh, Jones Beach, and, and, they're, and they're going down and, and they're drowning and the lifeguard sees them and he rushes out. And listen, that person is not going to be saved on the basis of their strength that's drowning, but rather on the basis of the one who's come to save. And Jesus is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence. Verse 12, Jesus said, come Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And the reason why there's that ambiguity that John mentions here is because if if you've read the Gospel of Luke, Luke says that in the afternoon of the resurrection, Jesus comes alongside of two of the disciples that are walking. And they're so discouraged, you know, because of the events that have taken place. And even now, somebody mentioned that Jesus was alive, and, and they're all confused and, and, and they start walking together to an inn on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize Jesus until Jesus sits down with them, and in the breaking of bread, their eyes are open, and, whoa, it's Jesus, and he disappears. Because sometimes Jesus would make his appearance, and, and, and it would not be obvious that it was Jesus. That's why John mentions that. Verse 13 says, Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. You know, it's almost like John, when John recorded Jesus took a towel and, he, and, he, and a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Here is very God of very God who is ever the servant of God now serving breakfast in the morning to these guys. Fish and chips. I would imagine that that fish and chips was probably the best fish and chips they ever ate in their life. I mean, Think about being served a meal by the master cook. Come on, guys. If he was on Chopped, he would win Chopped Champion, absolutely, hands down. Don't you remember at a celebration of a wedding, he made wine, and and what did the judge say about the wine? Save the best for last, because that's who he is. Verse 14 says, this is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The third time that John's writing. There were other appearances that the other gospel writers referred to, and even the Apostle Paul. But John's only interested in these three, and this was, the, this was the, the third. The first was the evening of the resurrection. The second was a week later when Thomas was there, when they had that great confession of faith, said, my Lord and my God. And here, I, I want you to think about this with me for a minute. The reality of the resurrection It took time for the reality of the resurrection to to sink into their consciousness. Their their whole world is turned upside down. The whole world has changed. In fact, fact, the day before the resurrection, the world is one way. Death reigned as king over every human being. The day after the resurrection, the whole world has changed forever as Jesus triumphed over death. And death no longer reigns as king. And so, and so everything has changed, and their world is upside down, and they're living with this uncertainty. And you know what? They're down on themselves because they ran away and because they failed the Lord. And, and the job of preaching to a hostile nation seems like mission impossible. And so they've walked away from the ministry. Verse 15 says this. That's why they're so vulnerable. Verse 15 says, says when... They had finished eating. Jesus said to Simon Peter, he got, he's getting down to business. This is why he showed up. He's got to get them back on track and back to the plan because there's only one plan. It's not another plan. There's only one plan. 
And what a great example Jesus gives us. Listen, if you got something hard to talk about with somebody that you love, the best time to do that is after a meal. Let's just confront somebody and say, I got something to talk to you about. Follow Jesus' example. First, there was fellowship over bread and fish. And then Jesus is getting down to business. And, and, and here's what he, what, he, what he wants to say. Simon, son of John. Again, notice he doesn't call him Peter. Peter was the name Jesus gave to Simon in the example of his transformation. So Simon, son of John, like old man, do you truly love me more than these? Some commentators suggest that what Jesus was saying was, was Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples, more than these other six guys? Because you, you said, though everybody else forsake me, yet you won't. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think Jesus was, was simply talking about the fish. Do you love me more than these fish and what they represent? Do you love me more than the profession of being a professional fisherman? Do you love me do you love me enough to forsake your net again now? That's what I think Jesus was saying here. Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And I think Jesus paused here before he gave his next response. I kind of, this, is, this is my opinion. This is only conjecture. But I, I kind of see Jesus with a stick kind of messing around with the fire and the charcoal. And the fragrance of the charcoal is coming up, and Peter's, you know, remembering. And Jesus, like he did with writing with his finger on the, on the sand, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. I didn't call you to catch fish. I called you to shepherd people. Again, verse 16 says, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And in, in, in the Greek, which is how the Gospel of John was written, the word that Jesus used basically said, Simon, do you agape me? Which is, which is a word that came to be known as, as the God kind of love, the sacrificial, selfless love. And Jesus was saying, do you love me like this, Peter? And Peter's response is different. Peter's response is, is not a, I agape you. Peter's response is, I'm really, really, really fond of you, Jesus. And it's not that I think that Peter loved Jesus less than he would require. I think he believed he loved the Lord with all his heart. But I, I, I think that Peter's cockiness is gone, that Peter's self-confidence has been shot by his failure, his, his, has brought him to humility. And that's a good thing. And he answered, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's like, Jesus, you already asked me that twice before. Peter was now sorrowful because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. He's kind of like, I feel sorry for Peter. It's like he surrendered. Lord, you, you, know, you, you know everything about me. You know that I love you. What I love is the relentless pursuit of Jesus. He doesn't let us go. He'll travel over land and sea to find us if we're trying to run away from him. And Jesus said again the third time, feed my sheep. 
Peter denied the Lord three times, and Peter's given the opportunity to reaffirm his loyalty to Jesus three times. You know what? Love is the only motivation that can sustain you and me in the hard times. I know love is the only motivation that can sustain us in the ministry when we go through really difficult times or, or when we're experiencing a crisis. It's, it's, it's love that has the power that is stronger than death, that, that, that can overcome disappointments. And let me tell you, in this life, you will have disappointments, but Jesus, I promise you, will never disappoint. Jesus is so gracious to, to recommission them to the ministry of, of becoming fishers of men and shepherds for his people. You know what? Th- th- think about it. All that Jesus suffered, all that he endured in becoming the substitute for us, that all now hinged upon the responsibility of preaching the gospel. But you know, they, they would not be alone. The end of uh, the gospel of Mark says, the Lord working with them, confirming their word with both signs and with wonders. We are laborers together with God. But again, there's this narrow window. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. Jesus just shows up once in a while. You know, th- think about it. Angels do not have the have the responsibility of preaching the gospel. Although I think sometimes they, they might be way more efficient than us. They don't grow old. They don't grow weary. They, they're not limited like we are. They could even fly. I'd like to fly myself, you know. I'm not talking about a plane, you know. That's a dream I always have, this reoccurring dream I'm flying. Anyway, uh, let me just say this, that angels cannot comprehend the one thing they cannot do is they cannot comprehend the power of forgiveness and mercy that God has lavished upon us because of our sinfulness. That he, he hasn't just covered it. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Can I, can I, can I say this? If you're here today and you're struggling because of a crisis and you're struggling because of discouragement, and discouragement is common to every single one of us. Can I say this, that because of the crisis that you may find yourself in, don't let it become a crisis of faith. Deal with the crisis and know that Jesus can be in your corner, but don't let it become a crisis of faith because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Can I say it respectfully in this way? Uh, That the creator of the universe did not break a sweat when when he created the cosmos. I mean, think of the enormity of the universe and how, and how he, he spoke it into existence, and, and it was so. He brought, he brought matter into existence by just simply saying it. But when it comes to saving a fallen race of men and women, he's, he's going to need more than the power of creativity. He didn't sweat when he spoke the world into existence, but the Son of God sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane and was nailed to the cross as our substitute. To transform sinners into saints would require a crisis that only God could handle. To transform sinners into saints was a crisis of God's own making by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. And you know what? It was a crisis 
The cross is a crisis that reveals the love of God, the power of God, and the wisdom of God in a way like nothing else could. Human beings would never know the depth, the height, the breadth, the length of the love of God apart from the crisis of the cross. This is God's plan. That he planned our destiny at the infinite expense of his own suffering. That blows my mind. I hope you never lose the wonder of grace. He has called you by name. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he's the son of God and that, and that he has taken away your sins, you, you are not believing that because you're smarter, wiser, or better than anyone else. The reason is because he called you by name and you heard his still soft voice and life came into you as a result of that. Like you saw a man sitting at the receipt of custom whose name was Matthew and he said to him, come, follow me. And immediately he forsook his tax booth, followed Jesus. That's what happened to you. That's what happened to me. Now, probably, if I ask for a show of hands, I would say, probably a majority of you have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of a crisis. And God is gracious to use the the crisis that we experience in his life to bring us to the knowledge of his love and his goodness. I was sharing at a uh, celebration yesterday. My sister and her husband were married 60 years, and, and I uh, mentioned that his his sister got sick. She had ovarian cancer, and and she was dying. And Frank had sought for for a healing in in Jesus. And although she did not survive, Frank came to Christ. And as a result of that, many others in our family came because of a crisis. Some of you may have come because of a crisis of finances, a crisis of family, a crisis of 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 help, maybe some even because you lost a loved one and, and that brought you to a greater knowledge of the comfort that only God can provide. My crisis was a crisis of my own making, of my own sinful making. I was married at the age of 22, which today sounds like a baby at the age of 22. At 24, I had my firstborn child. I had two businesses that I was running, and so money for me was never a problem, was never an an, an issue. I was working seven days a week, which is not mentally healthy for anybody. But I had a sin problem, and I had an addiction problem. And my wife said, you know, honey, you really really need to change. we, We can't go on like this. And I didn't change. And so she said, I'm not going to live like this. And so she called the locksmith, had the locksmith come, change the locks on the doors. It's my mother's house. It was the best thing that she ever did. You're a smart cookie. That's one of the reasons why I married her. Not only beautiful, but she's smart. She took, she took some of my clothes, put it in a cardboard box outside a locked door, right, and, and out on the porch. I don't even think she put a note in the door, but I got the message. You're not welcome. Not like this. So I got the box. I put it in my car, and I, and I, and I took off. And, and in a few blocks, I just knew I had to pull over. And I had to think this through. What, what was I going to do? I was at a crossroads. You know, you see a fork in the road, take it, right? You know? Seriously, I, 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 was, 
I was in a crisis in that moment. And, and I'm sitting in my car, and I'm thinking, all right, am I going to stay? Am I going to go? I got a wife and a son. I mean, my whole life is now screwed up. What, what, what am I, what am I going to do? And, and the, you know how one thought leads to another? And the thought God came into my, to my mind. And I, and I said to myself, I said, God, I haven't thought about God for years. And more than the thought of God, what filled the car was the presence of God. I didn't know, I didn't know a, a whole lot. But I know that I know that I know that the presence of God flooded that car. And, you know, I wasn't saved in that moment. It was, it was a moment of God breaking the, the hardness of my heart. Breaking the hardness of my sinful heart. And within a period of time, relatively not, not long after that, uh, both my wife and I in my mother's kitchen... At, our, at the kitchen table, my brother-in-law, Frank, led us to Christ. We've never looked back. And that was over 40-something years ago. This September, we'll be married 46 years. We have an amazing, and you know, if I say amazing marriage, you know, some of you know, uh, you've seen us, you, you've, you've seen us on different uh, venues and you, you got to know that God has blessed her in marriage. We've got three great children all serving the Lord, whose husbands and wives are all ser- serving the Lord. We've got 11 grandkids. You know, my marriage is living, my life is living proof that Jesus is able to take the ashes that we create and make something beautiful out of them. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to ask or even imagine, after, after I gave my heart to Christ, you can ask my wife, I became insatiable in my passion for the Word of God, and I began to search and study, and I began to read, and I began to meditate, and until, until God called me and her to start this church over 37 years ago, 37 plus years ago. And I've been preaching for a couple of years before that. But, but I want you to know that this is what God can do in a person's life. When in a crisis, we turn to him. Now, has life been, you know, easy? No. No, we, we've had numerous crises, crises uh, in our experience, sometimes with the grandkids and sometimes with issues of, of health and sometimes with our own children and issues of health. and this, this, this one particular time, probably around 28 years ago, 27, 28 years ago, uh, there, was, there was a real conflict that was taking place, a real schism within the church, and, and uh, the crisis had to do with relationships, and people weren't happy, and I wasn't happy, and, and, and I, I don't know if I would have quit but I know that I struggled with real discouragement. I know because there were times I felt like I was on the verge of tears. I'd be in a supermarket and all of a sudden I'd get emotional. And I didn't know why except that I just felt lousy. And I remember driving home this one day when I had you know, brushed back tears. Never, never, you know, never did cry, but held them back. I remember being in my driveway. It was a beautiful day. 
And that still soft voice came up on the inside of me. And, and it, was, it was Jesus, and he asked me a question. And the question broke the oppression in my life. And that's why this, this portion of Scripture is so precious to me. And you, you got to know what he asked me. He said, he said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Shepherd my people. The love that I felt for God in that moment and the love that I, that I felt God loving me and me loving God broke the oppression in my life that day. I have never been the same since that day. Uh, do you I still have struggles? Of course I do. I put my pants on one leg at a time just like everybody else. Let me tell you, the Lord knows what we need in a crisis, and he is faithful. I'm telling you, he can take the, the ashes and the, the dust, and he can turn them into something beautiful. If we will lean on him and trust in him in the midst of the crisis, and I, I, I can't guarantee you that the crisis will come out the way you want it to. Sometimes he changes the crisis, and sometimes he changes us in the crisis. But in everything, we have a promise that in all things, he works together for our good, those that are called according to his purpose, those who love him. I just want to encourage you to place your trust in him. I want you to know this and walk away with this. There's no one greater at handling a crisis than Jesus. And you could look to him today and know that he's both faithful and gracious to help us in our time of need. He's an ever-present help. But you know what? There's a great verse. I almost, I almost missed it. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, God says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future. And can I say this to every single one of you here? I don't know what your relationship with Christ is, but I, I want you to know that God has good plans for you to give you hope and a future. You can, you can take that promise and you can lean on that promise and stand on that promise that God is faithful. If you're here this morning and, 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 and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you to, to, to pray a prayer that's simple, that's like this, that says, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. You can do that right now with a step of faith. You can say, Jesus, I believe you died to set me free. And I believe that you rose again so that I could have eternal life. If you do that today, please tell somebody. Uh, come up for prayer if you'd like. But I'd like to just close in prayer. For those of you who are followers of Jesus and you find yourself right now, uh, I'm in the midst of a crisis and you can identify with that. You're at a crossroads and you don't know which way to turn. I want to pray for you, that God would lead you and direct you. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word once again this morning with your precious people. My prayers that they've been fed. My prayers that they've been shepherded this morning through the word of God. The word of God has the power to transform us from sinners into saints. 
It set me free from drug addiction, set me free from a life of perpetual sin. I pray now, Jesus, that your word go down deep into the hearts of your people this morning and it will accomplish what you have sent it to do. It will not return to you void. I believe that. So would you encourage those that are discouraged? Would you, would you just comfort those that, that feel like their hearts have been breaking and they're struggling right now? in the midst of a crisis. I pray, Jesus, that you would change the crisis. But if, if you don't change the crisis, change us in the crisis that we might become stronger and better as we are followers of Jesus. I just thank you so much, Lord, for yourself, for all the promises that we have in you, Jesus.